And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. We're continuing our conversation today on the missionary task. Phase five of the missionary task is leadership development. And we want to explore what does it look like and how do we do leadership development well? Why is it essential that we raise up Christian leaders as the church continues to grow and expand around the world? Our guest today is Dr. Conrad Mbewe. Conrad has served as the pastor of Kabwata Baptist Church in Lusaka, Zambia since 1987. And this church is presently overseeing the establishment of 20 new Reformed Baptist churches across Zambia and other African countries. He maintains an itinerant preaching ministry really around the world. He has served as an author of many different books and booklets, including Foundations for the Flock and Pastoral Preaching building a people for God. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with Conrad today. Conrad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Paul, for having me. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Why don't you just begin? I think our listeners can already tell that your accent is not from North America. So why don't you start by just telling us some about yourself and your family? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was born and bred in Zambia, Central Africa, although others consider it to be Southern Africa. Brought up in a church-going family, but only came to Christ in 1979 between high school and university, where I went on to study mining engineering. After graduating in 1984, I went on to serve in the Zambian copper mines for three years. While I was studying at university, a number of us who were part of the Lusaka Baptist Church became the nucleus that was sent out to begin Kabwata Baptist Church. So when I graduated and went to work in the mines, this little group that had now been constituted as Kabwata Baptist Church called me to come and be their pastor. So that was uh, September 87. I moved over and began pastoring there. The following year, I married Philistus, who I had met while working in the copper mining world. And the Lord has been pleased to give to us three children. And then in the African traditional sense, we've adopted another three. So we speak in terms of having six children, all of them have since grown up, they've left home, and five of the six are married. And out of that bunch of young adults, we now have six grandchildren. So that's life pretty much with respect okay. to me. 
Yeah, that's great. Thank you for for sharing some of that background. You know, some of our listeners may be familiar with Zambia, but many of them probably not so much. So what can you tell us a little bit about maybe Lusaka as a city, Zambia as a country, as it relates to Christianity, to the church, these kinds of things? First of all, Zambia is not as well known as a number of its neighbors like Zimbabwe, and so forth, primarily because it's a very quiet country. There's not much to report on Zambia as such, for which we're grateful because, as you know, no news is always good news. (laughs) But having said that, Zambia is well known for one of the seven natural wonders of the world, which is the Victoria Falls. It's situated in between Zambia and Zimbabwe. It's also well known for being the place where the Missionary explorer David Livingstone labored and died. In fact, his heart is still buried there. Uh, the population currently is between 15 and 17 million, so we hear. Lusaka alone has 10% of that population, so about 1.5 million people live there. It's a country that claims to be Christian. It's written in our constitution that Zambia is a Christian nation. But as you well know, real Christians are only those that come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a very small number compared to the rest of the population. But roughly 80% of Zambians would claim to be Christian, though most of them may not be able to remember when they last stepped in church. Okay, that's really helpful. Thanks for that context. So the topic of the conversation today is leadership development. You know, as we think about planting and establishing the church around the world, why is leadership development, why is pastoral training important? Well, I often think of church planting in terms of three categories. First of all, it's the work of evangelism. You have to share the gospel with non-believers and seek to bring them by the help of God to repentance and faith in Christ. And then there's a second layer on top of that, which is basically discipleship, where you are discipling the converts, helping them to grow in spiritual disciplines, to grow in Christ-like character. But then on top of that, as you rightly pointed out, is the whole area of leadership development. Because ultimately what you want is to see the churches independent from the church planters or the missionary who has gone out to do that work. And it's vital that it must have some level of independence in that sense. The book of Acts is full of that. You had Paul and Barnabas and others going around planting churches, and then at some stage, you had them coming around to ordain elders in every church, as we find in Acts and chapter 14. And there would be times, like in the book of Titus, when Paul had to move on but was not quite confident that the leadership had been appropriately cooked, so to speak, and therefore would leave a person like Titus to continue with that work, developing leaders, and then finally ordaining them. And part of it is definitely informal, 
but where we can put together a proper program and really train and develop pastors through some kind of college facility or college institution, that's even better as the work is growing because Mm -hmm. then you are able to formalize the training, especially of those who will occupy the pulpit. Mm, That's helpful. Yeah. I want to get back to the theological training later on in the conversation, but as people are coming to faith, as there's new disciples that are emerging, you've been involved in helping start many new churches. When you're thinking about a new leader, a new pastor, what are the things that you're looking for in a potential new leader? First of all, the qualifications of leadership or eldership in the church are provided for us in scripture. They are there in First uh, Timothy 3. We also have them in Titus 1. And when you break them down, there are a number of facets that you cannot miss. Uh, one is the fact that the individual himself should be a person who now shows the fruit of the Holy Spirit in his character. So we're dealing with an individual, therefore, if I could just quickly peep at some of those qualifications that are listed here. You're talking in terms of individuals, for instance, who are sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Those are positives. And then we also have gentle and so forth. But on the negatives, you have not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a love of money, and so forth. So basically, all those are personal qualifications. But number two, where a person is married and has children, you are seeking to see how the characteristics that we're talking about here are being nurtured in the person's family so that you are able, as Paul says here, to say, well, if this person is able to do this in this little nucleus, there is great potential that he would be able to do the same in the church in terms of discipling his children, his family, and consequently discipling within the context of the church. So that's the second area that we'll be looking at. The third is in terms of giftedness. Again, the Apostle Paul puts it here as being able to teach. So you will want to already have involved such a person in various areas of church work and church leadership, teaching small groups, teaching the wider church and so on. And and you're seeing that the Lord has gifted this individual. So generally speaking, those are the areas that one looks for. Of course, zeal must be there. The apostle poses the phrase here, if anyone aspires to the office. So you want to see that here is somebody you're not constantly pushing from behind, but they are zealous for the Lord's work. The Great Commission is a call to go, and a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. 
It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. As you're, you're looking and you're wanting to see new churches started and you're looking at qualified men and you see some of these characteristics, some of these qualities, you see their character, you see their family, you see the ability to teach, then what's next in the process? Can you describe maybe how you kind of personally come alongside and help invest, train, and develop new leaders? Yeah. First of all, what we've tried to do is at our own church, we've developed an internship program. And that means that a person who has been trained wherever it is they've been trained comes in and spends an entire year with us. That enables us to see where they are lacking. They themselves often tell us at the very beginning that these are some areas in which I need some help. But also because we are with them, we are able to see some flaws that we can therefore address. We also give them some reading assignments right across the year, which help just fill in, especially in the area of pastoral work or practical theology, but also some doctrinal gaps that want to just make sure we feel, we hammer in the nails appropriately. And then from there, we also involve them in the life of the church, again, to see their own zeal, their giftedness, and so on and so forth. So that's something we do in-house within the context of the church. But then our missionaries then go out and they are laboring away in the mission field they themselves are involved in those three layers. So there's the area of evangelism, the area of discipleship, and the area of leadership training. Now, it is at that level that, again, we basically pass on to them areas of doctrine that they ought to ensure they put into place, and then areas of church life that they spend with the leaders Mm. on the mission field to ensure that these individuals are being appropriately, I like the phrase cooked, and not because you're actually putting them on a stove, but I hope people understand what I mean by that. And then at an appropriate time, our own elders, one or two, travel to spend time with the missionary to interview the individuals to see where they are in terms of doctrine and practice and so forth. These days with Zoom, we are also able to do that because some of them are in other countries. So we're able to spend time with them on such a digital platform. But finally, we still want to hear from the congregated church, their thoughts about these individuals. So all we do is we ask that the members that have come together in these fledgling churches to simply give us the names that they think should be their leaders. Mm. And once we compare the names between what the missionary had and what they have, that's how we arrive at some names that we can then, together with the missionary, set apart 
as the initial leaders for that church. But even when that has happened, we still want them to continue studying together doctrine, church history, church practice, and so forth, so that these new leaders continue to grow in their understanding and practice of church leadership. Yeah, that's really good. You've kind of touched on this question, so you may not have to answer it very long, but I think I understand where you're coming from. So would you say then that theological education is important for leadership development? Yes, it's vital because, you see, the fall in the Garden of Eden had at least three consequences. One of them was on the mind in terms of deceitfulness, in terms of ignorance of God and his ways. The other is in our affections, taking us away from loving God and loving people to loving ourselves and loving sin. And then lastly, in terms of the outworking of our lives on our wills and so forth, leading on to spiritual, physical, and eternal death. But let's quickly go back to the mind then. So the mind is not already full of the knowledge of God. There is need for the Bible to be taught to the individuals that are being brought to faith in Christ. But more than that, these are going to be leaders. You are leaving this infant church in their hands. There are winds of error and winds of deceit that continue to blow in every part of the world. It's important that they sink their roots deeply. And thankfully, history has broken down these disciplines of truth for us. So understanding where the church is coming from, church history, understanding the Bible, so biblical studies, so that wherever these leaders are in the Bible, they have a sense of that network. Doctrinal understanding, systematic theology, again, being something that they ought to be taught in, and so forth. So I have no hesitation in highly recommending theological studies. That's great. Conrad, you're an African planting churches, training leaders in Africa. What would you say is the biggest challenge to pastoral training, leadership development in Africa today? In one sense, I use the phrase, we've got a good problem, if a problem can never be good. In the sense that what's happening in Africa is there is an exponential growth as far as churches being planted and people getting converted. We are literally chasing a galloping horse at full speed. And the normal traditional structure of training pastors is but a drop in an entire ocean. And so we have to think on the run. How do we get all these, or as many of these men who are just sort of coming out of the woodworks, planting churches. How do we capture them and give them basic training and from them pick the crop, the cream of the crop, and also give them higher levels of training so that you have a kind of pyramid structure where 
those that are highly gifted are given even higher levels of training in terms of what normally in the West would be bachelor's material, master's material, or even doctoral material. So that's really the greatest challenge. It's to catch up with this galloping horse. Because if we don't, there's going to be uh, wildfires spreading Mm -hmm. all over. And it's already happening anyway. The spread of the health and wealth gospel in its worst form is not because people are knowledgeable and have chosen that route. It's because of the gross ignorance that is there within the context of church leadership. Tied with that is obviously the issue of money. Africa is not very wealthy. And in a lot of places where the churches are, you have individuals who have maybe just one Bible in the context of an entire church in a village meeting under a tree. And yet even that leader needs some level of teaching. So there is a lot to be said for that. But even when you speak in terms of finances, again, it's not the kind of finances that perhaps a person in the West thinking about theological studies might be thinking about. It's at a very low level, but still needed because of the many places that need to be touched with theological training. Mm, That's good. You know, I want to shift to some what I call lightning round questions, just a little bit quicker questions with quicker responses. The first one is kind of a fill in the blank question. In your opinion, the most important character trait in a leader, in a new pastor, is blank. I would say integrity. I'm tempted to add love for God as two competing elements. So I'm not exactly sure which one to put first, but yeah, love for God, integrity. Okay. So they're a trusted character. Who they are in public is who they are in private, uh, integrity, but then also driven by a zeal, a love for God. What is one thing that you wished new Western missionaries knew about training pastors and developing leaders in Africa? Basically, all I would say is come alongside proven leaders who are already there in Africa and work with them. Because, again, the point there is there are a lot of nuances that a new missionary is totally unaware of. But an African leader breathes that air. Mm -hmm. And by working together, you avoid reworking the wheel and making fresh blunders. So from the beginning, you are most fruitful. Okay, that's good. You talk about the galloping horse and you're chasing the galloping horse, the growth of Christianity and the church in Africa. What is one thing that Western missionaries can do to serve the church in Africa in the decades ahead? I think we need to be helped with respect to literature. The educational drive in Africa is definitely taking place. It's high. People are going to school and therefore able to read, but then they don't have the resources that they can therefore turn to as pastors and church leaders are feeding the flock. Mm -hmm. So helping to get literature, some of it means translating it into other local languages or basically like Africa, what you need is simply French, Portuguese, 
Swahili and perhaps American, so on, some basic languages, helping to get basic literature put together into their hands, and then coming alongside from time to time to help with the training of leaders. I think I would genuinely say with that level of help, the African church will really be strengthened and will take its place in the great missionary enterprise that is the responsibility of the church globally. Yeah, amen. I'm excited to see more and more African churches taking ownership of the Great Commission and with a strong desire to train, to send, not even just to the continent of Africa, but even to send cross-culturally around the world as well. It's an encouraging thing. All right, last question for you. As you reflect on your ministry over the last 35 years, you know, pastoring, planting churches there in Zambia, what encourages you the most? It's the amazing grace of God. You know, first of all, as a human being, you cannot give spiritual life to anybody. They are dead. And yet it's fairly evident that God is at work in Africa that the cry that David Livingstone had, that we are the servants of the night, we have labored hard and hardly seen fruit, and he prayed that in a coming generation, from one message, many people would benefit and come to faith in Christ. Well, that's actually been realized. And it encourages me to see that. It encourages me to see men and women laboring together zealously for the cause of Christ for very little pay, sometimes not even any pay, but they they love the Lord and they, they really want to serve Him. For me, that's really been a great cause of encouragement. And I'm glad I live in today's world in Africa to be able to see this. What a time to live. Mm. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Conrad, thank you so much for your time, for the conversation today. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.